Good morning. Hey everyone, I'm Nicole Eunice. I'm part of the Ward family. I'm actually from Richmond, Virginia, but I get to come every few months and bring the word. And I love getting to do that. Love getting to be a part of this family. Feels like a home away from home. So super glad to be with you guys. So you got to hear a little survey of scripture just now. We read from three different passages. Anyone know what the theme was that connected those three passages? Anyone know? No, you can... Yeah, does anyone? No one? No, okay. Yeah, yes, in the back. Lost and found, yes. Excellent, lost and found was in those messages, right? The other thing was, I wanted someone to say Jesus. I can't believe nobody gave the church answer. We'll try again next time I'm here. The actual, the connector that was in all of them as well, as some of the themes we're going to see this morning, was joy. In the first passage that we read about the lost sheep, remember it's in his joy. He's rejoicing when he finds the lost sheep. And in the treasure hidden in the field, when he finds the treasure, there's rejoicing. And then finally in the fruit of the spirit, the idea of what does our life look like when we're living in the spirit, love, joy. Jenna even gave you like an emphasis on joy. We've got this thread that moves through the New Testament, through the Old Testament, about what it's like to live with God, what it looks like to follow Jesus. And that thread that goes on and on is joy. That joy should be the fundamental characteristic that describes a follower of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I find that very difficult to live into. It's one thing when we come in here on a Sunday and we're here together, if you guys are there in Farmington Hills, wherever you are online, when we get together with people, we've kind of like taken our shower, we've gotten ourselves together, we're smiling. But I spend a lot of time talking to people one-on-one for my work and for my ministry. And I gotta say, the prevalent feeling that I'm talking about with people is not joy. And the prevalent feeling that I'm experiencing in the daily pressures and stressors of life is not joy. And so we have this gap between an experience that we're supposed to be having and perhaps what our actual daily life feels like, what happens in our daily life. And I I just grabbed a couple of things off of Instagram that I think might describe a little bit of why things like this happen. Here's the first one. Oh, here it is. We didn't do this one last time. Life is waking up an hour early to live an hour more. I found this on my Instagram and I was like, who wrote this? I'm exhausted. The last thing I want is another hour. Now, maybe some of you guys don't feel that way, but if you're like me and you're in a moment where you're feeling pressured or stressed, obligations of life are just weighing you down and you're thinking, the last thing I need is less sleep. What I need is a nap. What I need is vacation. That's one of the ways that you might be experiencing the world. Here's another one that I found here. Therapist, you said you were disappointed with life and how the world operates. What were your expectations? Anyone know this picture? This is from Richard Scarry's children's book. And it's like, well, I kind of thought life would be more like that. Sunny every day. Everybody's really nice. Everyone does the job that they want to do. The trucks and the cars they, and the little animals, right? And we're like, ooh, life is actually disappointing. And sometimes you can experience this in different seasons of your life where perhaps you really were like gearing up and you were really, when you were in like early family life or whatever, you loved it, and now you're entering empty nest and you feel really disoriented. Or perhaps you just, you thought you'd be in a different place than you are right now. And you're having to live into that disappointment, that sense of the expectation of what it would feel like. Maybe you're a new believer 
and you thought this would be easier than it is. It's not turning out quite to feel that way, right? Because there's no place in prom, there's no scripture promise that life will be easy. But there is a lot about how life is transformed by God. And that transformation is this overflow of joy, right, that can come from inside of us. Check this one out. Self-discipline is tough because I'm the boss of me and that guy runs a real loose ship. Some of us are disappointed in ourselves. We just, we have expectations of who we should be able to be. And yet time after time, we start off in the morning and we think this is the day the Lord has made. This is the day I'm going to show up holy. I am going to show up righteous in my job today. And it's like 10, 12 a.m. You've already failed. And so when we ask the question, what comes against our joy? I want you to know that there is a lot of things coming against you experiencing joy. There's the pressures of life. There's expectations of what you thought life would be like. There's the expectations that you might have of yourself. Joy is this contentment, this energy inside that isn't disturbed by the storms outside. But believe me, working your way, and I do mean work in the sense of intentional turning of your mind to allow joy to be the setting of your heart is something that we do have to work on. Because the world and the culture is going to come against that in every turn. There was a recent article that was trying to theorize around why there's so many rising levels of anxiety and depression, particularly in our American culture. And in this article, it talked about this idea that many of our desires, sort of cultural, American cultural desires, have moved out of being internal motivators, like a desire to feel connection, a desire for meaning. And in our culture, even that has moved to external ideas of finding contentment in material things, individual achievement, fame, likes, loneliness, comparisons on social media, environmental chemicals, even watching the news are all correlated with more anxiety and less joy. So there are things in our world, even as believers, even if you've been a faithful follower of Jesus for, for most of your life, I want you to know that there are pressures and things working against you experiencing joy. And without a true intention of turning your will and your mind toward what the gift of Jesus really is, what we're really doing here, you will get just as caught up in that as anyone else. Here's the four ways that joy, are, we can sort of have our joy overshadowed. Because as we take in all of that, we may find ourselves in a place where one of these applies. A shadow of our heart can be fear. Just a setting inside of us that says, I'm not safe. The world is not safe. Therefore, I have to control everything and everyone around me so that I can try to make it feel safe. And what's more, oftentimes when the setting of our hearts towards fear, we seem to like seek it out. And so we've got news feed and all of this stuff coming at us. And there's just every day there's more to fear. And every trauma and every suffering in the world feels like it is literally, like especially if you bring your phone into your bedroom, you are bringing all of that trauma into your room with you. And we wonder why we don't feel safe, but fear will overshadow your joy. Another one is anger. Things have happened to you, or you've had an experience where, where anger has taken root in your soul, and, and you just sense the world is against me. No one's on my team. No one's on my side. I have to guard and protect myself. And you find yourself feeling lonely because no one knows you, because you're working so hard to be strong. 
to keep everything and everyone away so that you can feel okay. Another way this shows up is in shame. Shame is this essential, like baseline belief that something is actually wrong with me. In the baseline of where I'm operating from, I just believe that like I'm just not good enough. I'm just, something is actually inherently wrong with me. Now, the good news is something actually is inherently wrong with us, but that's what Jesus is for. But when we're here, we live out like that's true. Like we have not been redeemed. We have not experienced Christ as a gift. And we live out of this place where I have to strive for everything that I do. And I have to appear like I have it together. I've got to get it right in this relationship. I've got to get it right at work. I've got to get it right in my like fitness, my eating. It's just nonstop. It's a barrage of self-condemnation that says something is inherently bad about me. The final shadow over our joy can be sadness. And this is one we can't escape. There's healing actually for fear, anger, and shame. There's comfort for sadness because Jesus understands what it means to be sad. And he meets us in it, but sadness is just this inherent understanding that things are not as they are supposed to be. Things are just not what they're supposed to be. And if we, if we let that in, and if we maybe experience that moment where we feel the pain of the world, or we feel the pain in ourselves or in our loved ones, we may feel overcome by it. And we wonder, how am I supposed to experience joy with these things? And so I put this up here because mostly I want you to know, if joy is not the setting of your heart day to day, you are not alone. If joy feels hard for you to come by, perhaps one of these things is overshadowing it right now, and you are not alone. This is part of our human experience. In fact, in a really interesting way, Jesus actually says, good for you. Here's how he says good for you. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, this is like his opening of the greatest sermon of all times. This is just like King Jesus talking to us about what it means to live in the kingdom. And he says, when Jesus saw the crowds... He went up to a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And the first thing he said are, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes we have to have the conviction, the weightiness that I, I even feel in the room right now to recognize, ooh, I do struggle with those things. Because Jesus says, okay, good news, when you feel poverty of spirit, when you feel that sense that like, ugh, I'm just, I'm not, I can't get there. I have expectations of life that have been disappointed. I have expectations of myself. I'm disappointing myself. I have this operating system that's trying to pop up in my life of fear or anger or shame. I'm experiencing those things. Jesus says the good news is when you realize that there is a gap between who you are and where you want to be, you're close to the kingdom of heaven. When you recognize that poverty of spirit, you are close to the kingdom of heaven. It's to those very people that Jesus then told stories. And he told these stories called parables. You probably have heard the ones that we're going to share today. Very familiar. But just as a reminder, Jesus told parables. That, root, that word parable is the same root word that we get the word parabola from, from like calculus, if you, if you know what that is, a, a parabola. I've been told multiple times that I've helped people with their AP tests because I talk about psychology. This is as far as we're getting with calculus right now. It's shaped like that. That's all I can tell you. So it's a parabola, if you remember that. And that same root word is this idea of two parallel realities. What Jesus does is he tells a story or gives an analogy that would be very pertinent to the listeners of the day. 
It would feel like their daily life. And he tells that story so he can lay a spiritual truth next to it. They are evocative. They are meant to bring emotion. They're meant for you to feel like, oh, I get that. And he tells that story or gives that analogy because he wants to lay a spiritual reality next to it for those who have ears to hear to actually pick up and take. And so for the next few minutes, I want to tell a couple of those stories because Jesus designed parables so that those who had ears to hear would pick up that truth. And this is the stuff that Jesus wanted to make sure that we understood. Galatians 5, you heard it this morning, that Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. This is what Jesus is calling us to. So let's look at this first one first, this little story from Luke 15. It says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he has to call his friends and neighbors together and say, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Now this place in Luke 15 is where Jesus actually tells three stories of being lost. And the stories ramp up in intensity as he tells them. He tells a story of a lost coin. A woman who loses a coin sweeps her whole house to find it. So joyful when she finds it. He tells the story of a lost sheep, which we just saw right here. And then he tells the story of the lost son. Perhaps the most well-known parable in our modern culture is the story of the lost son or the prodigal son. We sang a bit about it just a moment ago. In that story, remember, the son leaves his father. He squanders all of his inheritance in wild living. He realizes, he comes to his senses, and he's like, I'm just going to go back to my dad and say, can you hire me to work for you? Because obviously, like, I can't be your son anymore, but being hired would be better than what I'm doing now. So he begins to rationalize. He forms his own operating system about how life works. He goes back, but his father runs out to meet him. He puts a ring on his finger, a robe on his back that sort of restores his identity. He meets him with compassion, and he throws a party. So if we were reading all three of these stories, we would see a theme, joy, 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 party. That's like the story being told. But in the time, the analogies that Jesus gave would be very, very pertinent to the people who were listening. And so I wonder if Jesus was with us telling us these same stories right now. I wonder if in modern day, perhaps this progression of parables would be a lost phone a lost puppy, and a lost preschooler. Ever lost your phone? Yes, we all have lost our phone. Ever lost your phone? Like, how long does it take you before you panic? Really, let's be honest. We're in church. 38 seconds? You're like, oh, my phone, my phone. Oh my gosh, my phone. You know, it's like your phone is an appendage that you can't leave. Have you ever, ever done this? Ever been on the phone? I can't find my phone. I, I need to leave, but I'm on the phone. Mom, I've got to go. Oh, I'm holding the phone. The phone is with me. There is this sense with the phone, right? That like if you lose your phone, you don't, nothing else matters except finding your phone in that moment. People panic over losing their phone. People, and people in planes with phones, I have been on a plane recently where they actually announced over the speaker, they're like telling us how to be safe. Seatbelt, like water landing, and then they're like, and if you lose your phone, Please do not dissemble your seat, but call the flight attendant. This is an actual announcement, people. I am not exaggerating. People are disassembling their airplane seats because they cannot find their phone. 
And when you think about the parable of the lost coin, this frantic looking for it and finding it in the reef, remember, feel that feeling. Do you feel the feeling of what happens when you lose your phone and you find it? You're like, oh, relief. Let's ramp it up from there. What if it's not a lost phone? What if it's a lost puppy? A few months ago in Richmond, I was driving my youngest son to school and there's a very busy road. It's like a 45 mile an hour, two lane road in a neighborhood, very busy. And it was morning rush hour, which I do live in the South. People are generally very, very friendly, except for these few minutes of the day. Most people are definitely in a hurry, definitely trying to get where they're going. So just feel the vibe of that. So we're on this, this two lane road, driving fast and all the cars come to a stop. And everyone stopped and it's like, what is happening? We are all trying to get to school or work or whatever. And then out of the corner of my eye, out of the left side of my eye, I see a man running, like pumping his arms. He's got his khakis on. He's got loafers, no socks, braided belt. He is running. I mean, he is ready for work and he is running toward the road, running across the road. And then I see the flash of fur. He's chasing a little puppy. And it is as if everybody in the scene, all the cars, eight cars this way, eight cars that way, everyone's just like watching this happen. And you see him, he runs across this 45 mile an hour road, scoops up this puppy. And it's like everyone in all the cars is like, relief. The puppy is safe. If you've ever lost your puppy, you know they're too vulnerable to understand what's happening. They don't listen when you call. They are just free-spirited, and you can see them barreling toward death. And all you can think is, I have got to scoop up this puppy, right? Even more than the phone, the feeling of that little life being saved. And let's take it up another level. How about a lost preschooler? Ever lost your preschooler? I haven't had any preschoolers in a while. My kids are a little older, but I remember well, I thought I remembered well being a mom of a preschooler. I was helping out my, my young friend. I was hanging out with her son, two-year-old Gibson, and I took Gibson to the grocery store. I'm like, I'm an old pro. I have three kids. I can do this. So I get to the grocery store. I don't know if you guys have this here. In our grocery stores, they have these little tiny like toddler grocery carts. Like how fun, it, so immediately I'm like, how fun is that? Gibson can have this toddler grocery cart. I realized very quickly the error of my ways. I don't know if you've ever let a two-year-old run through a grocery store with their own grocery cart. He's literally like barreling down the aisle, just pressing cans. Just, none of them are landing in the cart. He's just, just destruction everywhere he goes. So I am like, oh, I gotta up my game. I gotta get ready. And we're in the store and I'm like trying to like work my angles. Let's go get a cookie in the bakery. We go to the cookie in the bakery and I turn and he's gone. And I'm like, oh my gosh, and it's not even my kid. Like, you just, and I don't know if you've ever seen, if you've been a parent who has lost a child in the grocery store, you act cool when you see other people, but as soon as they get by you, you like sprint down the aisles, like to the next aisle, like, but I'm fine, I'm not, everything's okay, everything's kid, no, pan, no, no one needs to panic. I couldn't find him for a little bit, just long enough that I'm like, oh my gosh, oh, you feel that feeling. This is a life, this is a little vulnerable one. This is, this, is, this is a child that I love so dearly and deeply, and the only thing that matters right now is finding this kid. And this probably was the span of two to three minutes, and it felt like eternity, because I wanted this lost kid to be found. He didn't even know he was lost, because I found him just reading magazines in the magazine article, I, in the magazine aisle. I don't, maybe kids read it too now, I don't know, but he was very settled and very stable. I was not. But what I didn't do when I got Gibson was yell at him. I didn't give him a lecture on standing next to me because he's too young for that. 
What I did is I knew it was my responsibility to be with him. And I scooped him up in my arms. And I loved him. And I was so relieved and so full of joy. And I want you to know, this is the primary way that your Heavenly Father feels about you. Every emotion that comes up in one of those stories, any part of that story that you let yourself place yourself in, and that feeling of relief and joy and gratitude and just closeness and togetherness, this is how Jesus describes how your Heavenly Father feels about you. The first time you come home and every time after, every time you wander in any way, any time that you feel disconnected or away from your father, when you come back to your heavenly father, when he comes back to you, it is joy. That is the primary experience that Jesus gives us through the father. When we are in Christ, our primary experience of the heavenly father is joy. The joy he has to be with us. The joy we get to have in being with him. When we lose a person or we find ourselves lost, we have one singular focus and it's being found. And this is how the father feels. If only we would understand our utter helplessness and lostness when we wander away from God. Maybe that would help us understand what happens when we finally come back when we fix our eyes back on the Father, when we fix our eyes back on who he is, God opens our ways, our eyes to this great gift. But here's the thing. So many Christians I know are absolutely miserable. They are miserable Christians because their experience of Christianity is that Jesus is a teacher that gives us rules to follow. That's their primary experience, is that Jesus is an example for us to follow. And it is true that Jesus is an example for us to follow, but if that's your way of seeing Christianity, you are going to fall short over and over again. And you are going to be miserable. Because Jesus isn't a teacher who tells us, here's how to live a perfect life. He is a gift, first and foremost. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that his life, his perfect life was lived. And he died a sinner's death so that we could have communion with the Father. It's a gift. It's a gift we receive by faith. When we receive that gift by faith, then we follow Jesus' example out of joy, not out of obligation, not because we're trying to prove something, not because we're trying to be good enough. Do you see how important it is to understand that? It is very deceptive. It is very easy to become a Christian who is much more concerned with your behavior than you are with experiencing the joy of your heavenly father. I mean, it's just your primary thing being like, I got, I got to get with my father so I can experience the gift of his life and my life. And I can bring him the shadows of my heart. I can bring my fear and my anger and my shame and my, I can bring that to him to allow him to heal and to comfort me. And that is the way I live my life. Second little parable Jesus tells is about being found. Matthew 13, 44, just one verse, two little sentences. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Jesus tells stories about being lost and found and rejoicing in it. And then he tells a story about 
what it's actually like in the kingdom of heaven. This, this place of good gifts is so, so good that when you get it, you just, nothing else really matters. A few years ago, uh, my kids are teenagers now, well, 20-somethings and teenagers, and my littlest kid, we were on spring break. He was probably like eight or nine years old. We're on spring break. We're staying in a family's condo out in Colorado, and we come out of the condo, and Des, who, by the way, is one of the luckiest people I've ever met in my life. That kid is so lucky. I don't know what God is going to do with his life, but maybe win the lottery. I have no idea. So this kid, he walks out of the condo, and he, (laughs) he reaches down. He sees a bill on the ground. He picks it up, and he's like, Mom. So he's like, found money. He's found money just laying on the ground, but not just money. He has found a $100 bill. Question one, who carries $100 bills? Question two, how do you carry a $100 bill and drop it and not know that you have lost $100? And you can imagine, this is my nine-year-old. He basically, his net worth just increased by 1,000%. It is just like his entire life has changed with this $100 bill. He's like in complete disbelief that he could find this. And we took several days. We tried to find the owner. But as it turned out, it, became, it was Des. He found it. It was, it was just unclaimed, unclaimed money. And every time I think about that story and I think about Des with that $100, I think about this parable. And I think about this idea that it is like so good, you almost can't believe it. It is so much better than the rest of your life. You just almost can't believe it. And, and Jesus tells this story and says, this thing, when you experience it, is so good that everything else in your life pales in comparison. It doesn't mean that you don't still have sadness. It doesn't mean that there still aren't struggles, but you've got this big picture. And, and everything is sort of reclaimed in light of the goodness of God. And of the goodness of our salvation, of the gift that it is to know our Heavenly Father. And that's where our joy is actually found. The joy is the energy that sustains the rest of it. So if we've got that backwards, if we're trying to work hard enough or get it right enough or figure it out ourselves or find it externally, we're going to be miserable. It's just not going to be a good experience of Christianity. But if we get this right, If we get it right, how good this gift is, how lost we are, how great it is when we find the kingdom of heaven, then everything else will flow from there. It doesn't mean that life gets easier, but it will feel much different. Your perspective will change so much. Think of it like this. My daughter didn't like to fly so much when she was little. She didn't really like airplanes. Um, So we just ripped the Band-Aid off and took a trip to South Africa. That's just, just so you know, it's about as far as you can go on an airplane. It's like 16 hours. And ever since that flight, when she was like 10 years old, ever since that flight, she's like, oh, we're, we're going to Orlando? That's an hour and a half, no big deal. It's like the, the thing that felt hard became less hard when it was seen in a bigger light, in a bigger world and in a bigger light. And in a lot of times, the way we experience God in the kingdom of heaven reshapes our perspective in daily life. So as we sort of wrap today, I just want to invite you guys, if this is for you, um, by the way, if you experience joy in your life, like as a setting, please come tell me about it. I would love to hear about it. I'm actually going to read a little story that was written for me from the last service. Because for many, many of us, this is the thing that we have to work on. And this is the thing I have to work on. So I want to give you a challenge if this is you. If you think, yeah, I, I would not call my setting. If you're not sure if your setting is joy, ask your spouse or a family member. 
they'll be more than happy to fill you in. So <laughs> ask yourself honestly, do I live from this place? And if you don't, and if you want to make progress here, I'm going to give you kind of three steps, okay? The first step is discovery. This is actually aligning our heart to the truth of how good the gifts are that God gives us. And I want to invite you to read Psalm 103 each day this week. Start off your morning, read Psalm 103, the whole thing. I'm going to read you just a portion of it right now. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. This is a beautiful psalm. The psalms were written to give us prayers that we can pray. And you can read that psalm and you can add to it. You can, you can name the good things that God has given you, the small or big good things that God has given you. You, you align your heart around the truth of how good it is that you have been found, how good it is that you know your heavenly father. Second thing you do is consider. You lean from this place of discovering how good things are and then you consider your life. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. A lot of us are doing this part without the first part. We're doing this as a religion. We're not doing it as a, as a reaction to the goodness of the gifts that God has given us. When you know how good things are with Christ, when you experience forgiveness, when you experience grace, you want to deny yourself and take up your cross. You actually want to because you want your will to align with God's will. And that's simply what we're doing when we consider and say, okay, God, I want to align my will with your will. The things that are outside of those boundaries in my life, I want to let go. I want to release. I want to repent. And I want to follow you today. We discover, we consider, and then we respond. We go out with action. Psalm 119 Make me walk along the path of your commands, for that is where my happiness is found. As we wrap today, I'm going to invite you to that practice this week. And I'm going to invite you even just now to take a moment, if you want to close your eyes. I don't want this moment and time to be wasted as we are together in the presence of God and Spirit is among us. And there's something about the energy when we're together that somehow opens our hearts up perhaps a bit more. And so I want you to ask yourself right now, where do I need focus this week? Do I need to focus on the love of my Father? Do I need to focus on, the, on my will, just aligning with God's will? Do I need to focus on my actions? Take one of those into consideration and I'll close in prayer in just a moment. Holy Spirit, would you help us to have eyes to see ourselves the way that you see us? 
God, it just, it does feel too good to be true that we can be this messed up and this like unsure and this doubtful and yet you have open arms to receive us, that your experience of us is of joy and that we get to respond to that sense of your love with joy as well. We ask you, God, that you would increase that joy in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I wanna read to you guys just this one little note from this morning. Someone came up to me and handed me this and said, I see humans from the inside out. I see a child created by God, not for who they are. I choose to look for the blessings in all situations, which brings an attitude of gratitude, even in the ugh moments of life. And this is how I keep big picture thinking. Amen.